And that's really the key with out-of-state investing. You're not going to be there yourself. So you can't rely like, oh, hey, if I need a handyman or I need a rehab crew, I'm going to go find it. Like, no, you're not going to be there realistically. So you need to have either all these crews and, and individuals or companies lined up, or you need somebody like a property manager or a project manager who can find those people for you and kind of manage them for you. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lodes, and today our guest is Anton Ivanov. Anton is a very successful real estate investor who got his start about 10 years ago and started with a house hack duplex. If you don't know what that means, he and his wife bought a duplex, which is two units, lived in one unit, and rented out the other. But they didn't just stop there. They continued to scale and build and grow to the point where they have now acquired 40 units and they earn $15,000 a month in passive income. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, they didn't start there, right? They started with a duplex and built from there. And that's what we're digging into today. How they got started, how they built utilizing first turnkeys and then moving beyond the turnkey strategy to doing their own multifamily deals. They did those deals off market, sent out mailers, and we're going to dig into all of that today. How they found those deals, how they vetted them, how they made their off-market mailers stand out from all the other ones that the sellers received. It's just so much knowledge and inspiration in this conversation today. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Loach. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form, schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you're just listening to the audio podcast, just be aware that the videos are up on YouTube. If you'd like to join the conversation on YouTube, get the video and some additional content, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show on YouTube. All right. Once again, our guest today is Anton Ivanov. So much great knowledge in this one. Let's go. Anton, thanks so much for joining us today. You have a very impressive track record, and I'd love to go through and learn more about your journey and what you're investing in now, how you're finding deals, everything like that. But, you know, start us back at the beginning. Tell us where you came from and how you got started as a real estate investor. Yeah. Hey, Taylor. Uh, great to be here again. Thanks for having me on your show. So me and my wife, we started investing in real estate I think it's been about 10 years now. It's It's been a while. And we started pretty slow. You know, we kind of had, um, I actually had pretty big ambitions starting out. I think the first goal we set was we wanted to have 50 units, you know, 50 rental units, cash flowing positive, all of that. And we kind of got there by, you know, saying, well, we want about 150, maybe 200,000 in passive income and how much reasonably we could get per unit. And then kind of got to the 50 unit number. But I would say I'm fairly risk averse, to be honest. You know, I tend to take things slow. I'm pretty analytical, so I like to analyze things. So I wasn't going to go and buy like a 50 unit apartment complex at that time. I remember that just seemed like way over my head. So I actually started with our first property that we ever bought with my wife together was a house hack. So it was a duplex, you know, two unit property in, in Southern California. And we lived in one of the units, rented out the other. I think it was a great start. We actually still own that property. We don't live there, but it's fully rented out. 
It was a great learning experience, you know, kind of went through our first property purchase, went through management, repairs, you know, actually we never owned real estate, never, you know, we rented before that. So perfect learning experience. The only thing that this was Southern California, you know, property values were super high. Rents were, you know, they're high, but they're not like, you know, if, if you compare them to the prices, you're paying so much more for every dollar in rent than other markets. So we kind of bought that property. We're like, hey, we want to buy more. Obviously, we're trying to build to those 50 units. But that's when I realized that we'll probably have to invest out of state for as long as we're living here. I just didn't see myself like, you know, 50 units in San Diego. We're talking about millions in just down payment capital. And then obviously many more millions in financing. I didn't have a lot of connections and I didn't really feel confident that I could pull off that kind of that much capital raising, you know, for our rental investment. So I started looking out of state. And then, you know, out of state, again, that's a, that that's another kind of hurdle. You're not there. You've never been to these markets. Uh, you don't necessarily know much about them. So I got onto turnkey investing. And, and a few mentors at the time, a few folks that, that I knew were doing them. And I was like, well, I think this is a good opportunity for me to start out of state investing by at the same time taking out some of the risk out. You know, obviously with turnkeys investing, it's typically a fully rehab property. If you buy it from a reputable vendor, there's usually a tenant in place, but at the same time, you're sacrificing those returns. Now, what I found, uh, we've actually been very successful with our turnkey properties. We still own a few of them and, and we've sold some other ones that we originally bought. But I will tell you, you know, I think turnkey gets a bad rap a lot of the times and there's certainly so many bad turnkey providers. You know, you hear horror stories, they just kind of go in, they barely fix up the property, like maybe paint, you know, just cosmetic stuff, like hide the big issues and, and then try to like market them to out-of-state buyers that don't know any better. They're putting like way over market value for these properties, then realize, you know, they have a non-paying tenant, foundation issues, like you name it. So I have read all about that. And what I've realized is that turnkey is just another, you know, acquisition strategy if you approach it correctly, meaning that you know, if you kind of analyze the first, the market where the property is the neighborhood and actually understand it, and then actually, you know, look at the property, inspect it, you know, realize that it might have problems that not every turnkey vendor is going to be a good, you know, company to buy them from and not every turnkey property is going to be a good investment. So basically approach it as just another way to look at properties and source properties as opposed to buying them off market. I think you can be very successful with turnkey properties. And again, I think where a lot of investors and kind of some folks that I've heard about fall, you know, flat and get in trouble with turnkeys is they think that it's like a slam dunk. They think that, oh, they just go, they just buy any property is going to be super great. There's not going to be any hassle. No, I think, you know, especially once you bought the property and own, it doesn't matter how you bought it, whether it was turnkey or not, you're the owner, you're responsible for what's going on with the local market, what kind of tenants is going to attract the property management, you name it. So we looked at it just another acquisition strategy. So we researched the markets, we we researched the neighborhoods, you know, the best we could without living there. And then obviously researched the vendors, did like a full property inspection. We passed on tons of turnkey properties. And I felt like we, we got some really decent ones. And actually what helps a lot with turnkeys, I found, is, you know, you are buying them at market value. So you're not getting that discount of ARV right off the bat as you could if you bought them on MLS or off market. But if you buy them in an area that has good price and rent appreciation over time, then in three to five years, your ROI, you know, your internal rate of return 
like your and your cash flow will actually start going up a lot higher because that disc that original discount that you didn't get becomes less important you know if the property values are appreciating five to ten percent a year like for example we had a property we bought turnkey in atlanta i think it was it was probably back in maybe 2014 2015 i don't remember uh you know we bought it for eighty five thousand. it was a nice single family good suburban neighborhood there rented for i think originally maybe like 800 some thousand 850 maybe was the starting rent now the property we still own it is worth close to 170 200 plus thousand you know so we're talking about almost double property value in you know less than 10 years and it's renting for 1500 right so in, in the long term the market you know and where you own properties and i think this is important for both turnkey and non-turnkey investors is i found as a long-term rental investor one of the keys to being successful is investing in a market that has good fundamental economic and demographic factors that in turn will drive the prices and rents up. And I think that the, there's a good amount of markets like that, but not all of them, you know, because compare this with really kind of cheap and flat markets like, I don't know, maybe Ohio or like some areas where you can buy a property for 50000 but then if you look at how much was this property worth 10 years ago or how much it's probably going to be 10 years from now, it's still going to be 50000 So, So you're not getting any price growth. The rents are flat. And long term, I think that's a bad situation to be in as a rental investor because when you factor in inflation, when you factor in raising, rising costs, and then you know if you were to sell it, pay selling costs, you're going to be at a net negative or a net zero. So yeah, I think turnkeys is a good way to start out of state. Again, if you approach them smartly, you know, don't think that it's going to be just as a perfect investment for any turnkey property, but just look at it as a different acquisition strategy that can help you find pretty much off-market deals, you know, again, maybe at a premium price, but long-term, if it's a good area, good market, they can be pretty profitable investments. Cool. So, wow, there's a lot there. It worked out for you up through the turnkeys and has continued to work out for you, but at what point did you decide to break out beyond the turnkeys and start buying multifamily properties other than the duplex on your own? Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, turnkeys was again, a great way for us to get a sense of what out of state, mar out of state investing looks like, especially on the property management side. I feel like, you know, as a rental investor, that's one of the key areas, you know, acquisition. Yeah. We, we all need to you know, buy the properties, find the deals, but then how you manage them, especially long-term is super important. And obviously that's a little bit harder, a little bit more challenging when you don't live in the area and you're relying on a different company. So we got a sense of what that felt like. And then again, we had that goal of 50 units, remember? So buying 50 single family homes, in my opinion, is a little bit just harder and more time consuming than buying, let's say, you know, five, 10 unit complexes, right? Or 10, you know, five unit complexes. You just kind of economies of scale kick in a little bit. You're buying more units at the same time. You're managing them all together. So that that was my logic of thinking when I was like, hey, you know, we want to keep building our portfolio. We're definitely going to keep doing it out of state. We feel a little more comfortable. You know, we have a little more capital accumulated cash flow coming in. So we started looking at multifamily. I think it was a natural transition for us just to start building our portfolio a little bit quicker. And at the same time, again, the turnkey model worked great for us, was a good learning experience, but it isn't, you know, the way you can maximize your returns. Again, you're buying the properties of market value, you're not getting a lot of discount. So we started looking at a more traditional, you know, kind of investing approach was it to buy kind of value add 
multifamily properties, not necessarily full tier downs or like super distressed units, but just units that maybe the previous owner was a bit neglected on. They needed some rehab work. The rents could be raised. And we focused on on a single market. It was Kansas City at the time. Again, not, you know, not saying that's like the best market is just I had like this whole process I followed looking mostly, as I mentioned, on macroeconomic factors that I felt would drive prices and rents up. So I kind of looked at cities with growing economies, with growing populations, with diverse job markets, you know, not focused on a single industry. And at the same time, that weren't like super, you know, inflated values like like California, again, as an example, is great. Like economies usually growing fast, you know, rents are growing, prices are growing. But if you look at that price to rent ratio, you're paying so much more for every dollar in rent, as opposed to a lot of these Midwestern markets that I like, like Atlanta, Kansas City, you know, Nashville was up there for a while. These are good, I would say more linear markets. You know, they don't have super big fluctuations during upturns and downturns in real estate. You know, prices there are more reasonable compared to the rents and, and economies are good. These are big, these are, you know, maybe not like your super high growth cities like New York or San Francisco, but these are very good. A lot of blue collar workers, a lot of diverse jobs out there. We focused on Kansas City, you know, I actually flew out there, spent like, I think a week there initially, built a local team, meaning I, I met some agents, some property managers, some brokers, basically kind of recruited or, or found all these professionals that I knew I needed to work with. You know, and that's really the key with out-of-state investing. You're not going to be there yourself. So you can't like rely like, oh, hey, if I, if I need a handyman or I need a rehab crew, I'm going to go find it. Like, no, you're not going to be there realistically. So you need to have either all these crews and, and individuals or companies lined up, or you need somebody like a property manager or a project manager who can find those people for you and kind of manage them for you. So we went through that process. I think it was actually like six or eight months before we actually you know, started looking at properties in earnest. And again, we were mostly focused on multifamily. So anywhere from like three to 10 units, I think. Kansas City has a lot of kind of smaller multifamily in, in a few regions. So it was a good market for that. And they, they weren't also, you know, with multifamily, you have to be careful in my experience with neighborhoods. Some cities, just the way they kind of zoned and the way housing, you know, works. A lot of the multifamilies are not in the best areas. They attract not the best tenants. You know, a lot of Section 8, unfortunately. And if that's what you, if you're comfortable working with that or dealing, that's fine. You know, Kansas City was actually a little bit different. A lot of the multifamily, especially the smaller units, like four or five unit uh, little buildings were spread out all around the suburbs. And they were actually in good school districts, you know, very popular areas next to like really nice suburban home. So, and I like that because again, I, I, I feel like those like maybe B, you know, B plus areas, your good working class areas, like the sweet spot, as opposed to, you know, like the slums, I guess, if you would, all those, you know, investors can be successful there too, just wasn't for me. So we started looking at multifamily and this was the market was heating up a little bit. I think this was, you know, maybe 2017, 2019 timeframe. So we were past that, that rebound, you know, prices were going high. And I was like, hey, you know, th there's not a lot on the MLS. A and I think especially now that's even more so the case is you go start looking on LoopNet or Zillow or whatever, just getting deals from your agent. And you'll realize that there's just not a lot of deals, especially multifamily, especially if you have a pretty set criteria for you know, the price point that the rents that, that you wanted. And that's when I start, we started looking off market. So I was like, hey, you know, how can I find these deals? Like, I know they're out there because I drove the city and, and actually seen these buildings that I would like to own personally. How do I buy these properties? And 
We looked at a few channels. Actually, a few that worked for us was like personal connections. I think that one is underrated. We picked up our first, I think it was two fourplexes out there. So eight units total, just because our broker that I kept bugging, by the way, like every week, I'd be like, hey man, you have any, you know, multifamily off market, on market. And he actually was working with a larger client, like, like a bigger firm that owned probably maybe 20, 30 of these units. They were offloading them and they didn't like care so much about listing. They just wanted to offload them quick. And he was like, well, hey, I have this company. They're offloading a bunch of units. Do you want to maybe talk to them, see what price you can agree on? And, and we, we ended up agreeing and buying two properties off them in a great area. I was super happy with that. And I think that's an underrated strategy. I hear a lot of people say like, well, you know, why would they not list? Why would they, you know, why would they not try to get the, the maximum value? Why would they agree to a private sale? And I think it happens in real estate way more than you realize. There's just a lot of reasons. You know, again, it could be a larger company that's trying to, you know, reallocate their funds quicker and they don't want to go through a listing process and add an extra 30, 60 days and deal with offers falling through. If, if their broker can come into them and say, I have a very interested buyer, you know, maybe they're buying cash or maybe they already have financing lined up, they're guaranteed to close. Like to that big company, that sounds a lot better than wasting another two months on the listing and then backing out process than relisting. So it doesn't mean that the properties are bad or something wrong with them. I just think there's a lot of off-market deals going on, especially when the market is kind of more heated up. So by the time you see stuff on the MLS, like people already looked at it five times and passed on it. So yeah, I would say like, don't be discouraged and don't be put off by people doing private sales, you know. And again, the more you network, like I said, we were talking with buyer, with brokers, with agents, property managers, and we just happened to be in the right place, you know, the, on their mind. Because again, I was bugging, calling them all the time saying like, hey, I'm serious. We got cash lined up. We're ready to buy. I'm like, what's up? So, and, and it worked out. So, so I think that's a great strategy. And then another one that, that we dabbled in that we've been also very successful is direct mail. Now we approached, me and my wife, direct mail, I would say totally differently than how most people, you know, most people, they go hire a company and everybody knows this like yellow letters or whatever. They say like, hey, blast this zip code. Maybe there's some criteria like this type of unit, you know, four plus units, out of state owner, whatever it is. But bottom line is usually generic mailers. Usually they do with thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of them at a time. And they're just hoping that a few will stick, like one or 2% will reply and then they can put something together, right? I got tons of those before I still get them. They go around the garden. <laughs> I get them. I open it up. It's like that. Hey, we want to buy your house. Boom. Like it's just, they're not very interesting. So I was like, well, how do we change that? So here, so here's what I did. I'll quickly run through it and then we can maybe link in the show notes. I have like a template that I used and and a more thorough write-up. So I actually went out to Kansas City and I drove a few of these suburbs that I liked and found, I actually physically found and saw these multifamily buildings. And a lot of them were built like together, maybe like six, eight in a row. I hand rode down or where, you know, I tagged them in my phone. I think it was a hundred, about 180 to a hundred buildings that I wanted to buy that I physically saw that uh, were built probably around the same time, just looking outside, you know, I didn't go inside of them. Just looking on the construction, looking at kind of the building records that are later looked up, that they were very similar units. So I kind of had a good idea of how they were built, you know, who built them. Again, I didn't know the exact condition, but I had a hundred addresses. I wrote, I have a template, it's a word template, but I made it super personal. I put the property owner on there 
that I got from public records, right? A lot of counties or a lot of states in the US, you can just look this up in, in the database. You just punch in the property address, you can find who the owner is. I took a picture, which I got from Google Drive, not Google Drive, Google Maps, like the drive-by, like where you can kind of virtually, you know, drive by. So I actually opened that up on my computer and like just took a screenshot of the little picture of the house. I put it in each template. So you had the person's name, you had the, the photo of their property, and then my offer terms. And, you know, it was the, the offer terms weren't like super interesting. It was just like no closing costs, like I'll pay your property taxes. And again, that part can be flexible just based on what you'd like to offer, right? I, I don't think the offer terms, a lot of people are offering cash. We weren't even offering cash. We were offering financing. I just think it's that personal touch that, you know, I hand signed them. I printed it out. It was a word template, but then I hand signed my name on each, put it in an envelope. And I think I did all the envelopes myself too. I mean, I had like labels I could just print, but it was like, it looked like a letter. Like it didn't look like a postcard that, that was just mass produced with that cursive font that makes it look like <laughs> it was, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. that it was handwritten, but you know, it's just printed. No, it was a letter. So you get, it's a stamp. You're like, Hey, and then you open it up. It's a picture of your house, your name, you know, maybe some of the names were wrong. I don't know. Again, it's public records, but it, it was as personal as like I could do it. And again, it was about a hundred mailers total. We had a crazy response rate. I think it was like 15 to 20%, which is unheard of in the direct mail. Meaning out of, you know, those hundred people, we got about 15 or 20 phone calls or emails. And I put my contact info like prominently on there saying, hey, and, and I put like a little blurb too about myself, like, hey, we're investors, you know, we're very interested in kind of buying specifically your property. We researched the area. So it wasn't just like, hey, we're home buyers, Kansas City. We buy millions of properties every month. Like that, that's just to to me, that doesn't mean anything. So we had 15 to 20, you know, people out of those 100 reach out to me. And I think we ended up closing on four or five. So that's like a four or 5% close rate out of the original mailers, which I think, again, is crazy. I would totally do it again. We've done actually twice. We're very successful in that area. Haven't done it since just because we, you know, we weren't buying as many properties nowadays. But, and I've had actually a few friends that adapted my template, used it in a few other markets and were super successful with this as well. So I know this works. Again, it's a little more time consuming, I would say. It's not like you're going and just filling out a form, putting your credit card in and the mailers go out. You know, you, you, if you want to drive around, actually find the properties, you know, handpick their addresses, take the time to, to put together this template. But hey, you know, in, in my defense, like I think that's time well spent because it's, we had a great close rate, great response rate. We got great properties that we still own. They're performing fantastically. And sometimes you have to do stuff like this that's a little bit inefficient, especially in, you know, in cities and markets. And like nowadays with real estate heating up all over the country, it's just harder and harder to find deals. And I think something like this, a little personal touch just stands out with the buyers. And again, another thing I mentioned, a lot of people are like, well, why are they selling? You know, wh why were they selling to you? Like, why would they not list? I had so many questions every time I talk about this strategy. And my response is like, honestly, nine times out of 10, it doesn't matter. Like we've had, I think a few of the, you know, some people reach out, it was like a trust or something like that. Like the previous owner passed away. It was some trust that's managed by the kids. And the kids called us and were like, hey, you know what? We were thinking about selling these properties. Like we don't really want them. It was our dad's, you know, real estate portfolio. And, and he unfortunately passed away. You, you just never know. You get a letter, 
in front of a person, they're at the right place to sell. You're just pretty much nudging them a little bit. That doesn't have to mean like there's something wrong with the property. There's, again, there could be, but again, you do your inspections, right? And you find out. It, it's just people are in so many different stages of lives. It could be institutional investors that own these individuals that don't want them, you know, spouses or people that passed away that no longer want the property out of state owners that, you know, kind of say, oh, this property has been a headache for me. You know, I was just, I was thinking about selling it next year, but here I saw your letter. So I would encourage everybody, don't be afraid of that. Hey, just do it. And again, but do your due diligence, you know, always do due diligence on the area, on the market, on the property yourself, and don't be able to walk away if, you know, if there are red flags, if the property needs significant foundation or whatever other repairs that you're just not willing or not set up to deal with in that area, in that market, perfect, just walk away. But then you'll have, you know, other opportunities will come by and there may be properties that are almost perfect condition. Again, just been a little bit neglected, need a little cosmetic TLC. Wow. So much there. Ton of knowledge. I'm glad that worked out for you. Before we move on to the three questions I ask every guest at the end of the show. So you're at a point where by my records, you currently have $15,000 a month in passive income from mm -hmm. your real estate. And I think a lot of our listeners out there are wondering, what's that actually like to experience? Like, how does that feel? Yeah, well, else <laughs> that's a good question. And I say, I think it's been like a lead up to this. So I wouldn't say I woke up one day and was like, wow, look at my bank account and I see that 15,000 check. And, and I was like, I made it. I think kind of looking back, it's always easy to look at a person who has been successful in any endeavor, you know, real estate business, whatever, and say, wow, they're making 15,000. They're, you know, they're doing so good that they finally made it. But that whole like finally made it actually happens over the course of years, you know, sometimes decades. And, you know, for me, it's been a long journey. Again, probably not that long, you know, 10 some years, I guess, relatively speaking is not too long, but I just feel like you, you do feel rewarded. You know, you feel like, yeah, like you see your efforts paying off. But at the same time, I don't think I ever had like this, like super excited singular moment where I was like, man, I finally made it because, you know, to me, it was a process. It was a gradual process. You know, it was years of kind of when we first started investing, you're making a few hundred dollars a month per unit, which is not that much, right? It's just kind of trickling into your bank account. It's easy to get discouraged during those times. But I think if you can persevere, you know, kind of through the grind, I guess you can call it, keep working on your portfolio and realize that real estate is not nine times out of 10, if not like 99 times out of 100 is not a get rich quick scheme. It's, you know, one deal is probably not going to get you to financial independence, probably not even two or three deals are not going to get you there. But if you're consistent, you know, if you kind of learn from your mistakes, learn from your first initial deals and just improve on as many aspects as you can on your acquisition side, on your rehab side, on your property management side, on your disposition, you know, side, just try to get better and better. I think small little improvements in all these little areas will help you become a better investor and ultimately kind of grow your portfolio, your passive income. And then, yeah, one day you'll just kind of wake up and you'll be like, hey, you know what? Pretty much, you know, me and my wife had that goal of about 150, 200,000 a yearly cash flow income from our rental properties and we're there. And and sometimes you don't even like kind of consciously realize it, but yeah, you'll wake up one day and you'll be like, hey, we made it. Remember that goal that we set, you know, 10 years ago? We're there. You know, what do we do now? 
And, you know, that then you start either making new goals or you decide like, hey, it's time to step back and kind of enjoy life or maybe a little bit of both. So, yeah, that's how it's been for us. I love it. Well, I'm very happy for you and for those of our listeners out there who want to achieve the same. Wish you all the best in that endeavor right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Anton, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So the best investment I've made is actually on the business side. So other than our real estate portfolio, I am the founder and CEO of two property tech companies, DealCheck and RentCast. And those have been absolutely phenomenal, even better returns on my time than our real estate. And again, a lot of work, a lot of kind of dedication, zero income for many years, but over time, kind of the ROI on time and, and money invested has been tremendous. Those. Awesome. We will definitely have you back on in the future to discuss both of those. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? This one is kind of probably non-traditional answer, but I would say that the worst investment ever made, and maybe as a group, is spending your time and energy with people that, that you just shouldn't be spending your time and energy with. Again, it's a little bit general, but there's, you know, when you start doing a lot of stuff with real estate, you know, with business, you become more successful. Uh, there's going to be people in, in your life, and in my experience, that, that are kind of drainers, that they will drain your energy, they will drain your time, but they will not really, you know, give you much in return for that. And unfortunately, that's the truth. This could be friends. This could be close friends. This could be coworkers. This could be even family members. And I think uh, time is actually one of our most precious resources here. We, we have only a very small amount of it, you know, before we die, frankly. And I think at some point, you just have to be very kind of pragmatic with who do you spend your time and energy with, you know, focus on the people and family members and, and friends that, that actually you love spending time with and they, you know, that you get something out of spending time with. You know, and don't be like, hey, I have to spend time with everybody pulling me in 20 different directions because it is just is going to add more stress and not going to add a lot of value to your life. Very important. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say it is don't be afraid to start small. And what I mean by that, a lot of uh, real estate investors, again, or in business or in any industry, they look at success. You know, success is easy to kind of see. It's like I said, you, people can look at my portfolio and say, wow, this guy owns 40 units, 50,000 month of passive income. He owns all these multifamily properties. Let me go and start buying multifamily properties. Or they look at Taylor saying, you know, he's done millions and millions of apartment deals, self-storage deals. Let me just go jump into them. And a lot of times, sometimes it may work out fine. You know, if you can swing it, again, buy, your, buy a 20 unit apartment complex as your first deal. 
more power to you. I just think it's more realistic for a lot of people to start smaller, be that business or real estate. Again, we started with small multifamily, house hacking, turnkey properties. You know, would I go back and say like, hey, we should have just started buying larger multifamily right off the bat? I think it would be, you know, it, it's easy for me to say, yeah, we should have, but realistically, we wouldn't have been able to. Every deal we've done from our first one has taught us something, has prepared us for the next deal. And all that cumulative experience you take for granted now, but actually you built up over many years, you know, starting with smaller deals that allow you to make smaller mistakes, not lose a lot of more money if you do make those mistakes and also teach you so much more along the process. And then eventually you find yourself being very comfortable doing big deals. So again, I'm not saying that everybody should just avoid, you know, larger projects, larger properties, more expensive acquisitions right off the bat. I just think you shouldn't be afraid to even just buy a first house. Like if, if you've never owned real estate, if you're a renter, maybe start with just buying a property for you to live in, you know, maybe try house hacking, a small multifamily, again, great way to get into real estate. So don't, don't get like, you know, look at these success stories, these big deals, everybody's doing these multi-million dollar projects and say, man, I want to just get into that because you don't know where those people started. And I think chances are very high that they started with smaller projects, smaller deals and kind of worked themselves up. So yeah, just don't be afraid to start small. You know, don't ever let anybody say this deal is too small. This profit is too little, you know, go through it, go through the experience. And then next one, you know, do it a little bit bigger and then keep going after that. I love that. Climbing the ladder and not being afraid to get started small can just help you build and grow that snowball. And Anton, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and teaching us about how you grew your real estate snowball. If folks want to reach out, get in touch, learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Absolutely. So you can check out our real estate platforms, DealCheck at DealCheck.io or RentCast at RentCast.io. You can reach me at my personal email at Anton, A-N-T-O-N at DealCheck.io. I actually love getting emails from podcasts and show listeners. I reply to all of them. I just take me a little bit of time. So if you have questions about our real estate portfolio, how we got here or our software platforms, hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.